You're listening to Soundwise Podcast, a show hosted by Alex in Serbia and Vlada in Poland. Each week we cover a different artist or band and engage in open, spontaneous debates and discussions about specific parts of their discographies. Our goal is to expand their musical horizons and cover a great range of genres and styles. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash soundwisepod and on social media at soundwisepod. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Soundrise Podcast. Alexander, how are you feeling this morning? Hello, Vlada. Good morning to you. I'm feeling kind of tired. It's been a slightly rough week here. Uh, we had some somewhat long holiday break here in Serbia, bank holiday and also a religious holiday. So, you know, after that, that amount of time, you know, spent relaxing, you just have to go back to work. And there were also some other stuff. Um, I'm also enjoying the, the nice weather. And honestly, I think uh, this this morning recording has has its flaws and 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 positives. So we'll see how it goes today. I think our very first morning episode was for Yazi, and that went very well, right? Yes. Uh, so usually we tend to record in the afternoon or evening, but this time we're recording in the morning. Of course, this is somewhat irrelevant for you, our dear listeners, because you get our episodes at the exact same time every week. But uh, we'll see how well we're going to perform. We have a bit of a morning coffee now, and we're going to talk about a very interesting artist. But before we move on to that, I would like to say a few things. So, uh, as you may know, if you follow us on social networks, it, on social networks, it's been exactly, or now already more than one year since we started. So we cannot be uh, more proud of being able uh, to reach out to you, dear listeners, and to discuss music. And knowing that you follow us, that you listen to us, that you care about what we say is, I think, our greatest accomplishment so far. So please, if you have any feedback, if you want to tell us about uh, something that you don't agree with or you agree with, uh, if you want to add some comments about certain artists that we are not knowledgeable enough about, please make sure you do so. We would appreciate that greatly. But also another thing that I want to point out is how much help and assistance we got uh, during this time, especially from our patrons. But another thing that's even more important is to uh, to mention that there there is also another person behind the scenes, my fiance Asha, who's done incredible job setting everything up and. Uh, we're so happy to have her as well. She She's the one who basically organized everything so well together with Alexander. I'm not so good at organizing stuff. So the two of them took care of it. And uh, I think that uh, we wouldn't be here without that. Wouldn't you agree, Alexander? Yes, it's been a, it's been a very exciting year. And... Uh, the birthday present that we got here in, here at Sunrise was uh, appearing on International Podcast Day's broadcast. It was last week on uh, April 24, 
and it was absolutely fantastic. It's received quite a response from our audience. So guys, if you want to check that out, we have both the video and the audio clip um, published on YouTube and all the podcast podcast platforms that we use. So it's been a great year. I think podcasting is, um, you know, experiencing a huge ex- ex- expansion during this pandemic and, you know, being this authentic music podcast is really a pleasure, Blada, isn't it? Uh, yes, for sure. And I hope that we can continue doing this for a long time. But we're really looking forward to hearing more from you. So if you have any comments about this year, let us know. You know, looking back, I'm really impressed how much we've grown uh, over the course of a year. I think if you listen to some of our earlier episodes, we sound like completely different people. So this is a great experience for us uh, being able to develop these podcasting skills as well. So, okay, let's cut to the chase and go to the artist that I selected for today. So um, it's a blues artist. Alexander, you were kind of skeptical of blues, even though I know you like the blues, generally speaking, but sometimes you make certain remarks about it. Um, were you excited to listen to another blues artist? You're right. I think the blues is kind of a hit or a miss for me. And I was actually excited because it's been a long time since we did a blues musician. I think Muddy Waters, Muddy Waters was the last one, uh, which was, I think, our ninth episode, if, if I'm not mistaken. It's been 40 plus episodes so far guys so really hard to remember so to say but yeah i i was um sort of excited especially because it's an artist that according to you is not so popular it's not a famous act maybe if you're a blues fan you know it but to me this is this was completely new so looking forward to discussing it all right so we're talking about a chicago blues guitar player Jimmy Dawkins um, what can be said about him actually uh, while doing my research I didn't find a lot of information about him unfortunately but as many blues greats he was born in Mississippi in Chula but he moved to Chicago in 1955 to work in a, a matchbox factory and uh, the thing is that he soon left this job and started playing blues professionally as a session man. So he played for a number of different artists until eventually, in 1971, he finally released his debut record. And he was assisted by Magic Sam, another blues great who was his friend, who got him this deal, who uh, enabled him to get this record deal. And thanks to Magic Sam the world was treated to this absolutely amazing blues guitar player and singer uh, that we're going to talk about today. He had a quite prolific career. He did a lot of recordings and touring in Europe as well, in France and other countries. Um, It seems like he was never in the spotlight, unlike some other blues greats, which is why I think I selected him for today. I want people to hear about this great artist. I don't think that he's any worse than other blues greats that you listen 
uh, people talk about all the time, you know, the likes of Otis Rush or B.B. King or Albert King or, you know, the all the other ones. I think Jimmy Dawkins deserves to be in that on that pantheon of legends of the blues. And uh, today we're going to discuss why. Um, he, he died in 2013, leaving a great legacy behind him. He also did a column for uh, a blues magazine called Living Blues, where he talked about different experiences on the blues scene. And I think what you get from this artist is the genuine love for the music and for the scene and for his fans. And even some of the lyrics reflect that perfectly well, which is something we're going to touch upon over the course of this episode. So Jimmy Dawkins, uh, I would say, is one of those people with a very, very special, very original style of playing and singing, which is why I think he never sounds boring. He never really sounds generic like so many other blues artists. But of course, that's always the case when we talk about authentic Mississippi-born and bred blues artists. So, Alexander, without any further ado, I want to move on to the first record, to the debut record by Jimmy Dawkins called, interestingly enough, Fast Fingers. So before I go into my own diatribe about this, I would like to hear a few thoughts of your own. All right, Vlada, thanks for that great introduction. It's always great when we find these musicians that don't really get talked about and we just want our audience to pay, you know, some attention to, to these kind of artists. So that's great. That's the point of Sunrise after all. But when it comes to this album, um, this is the debut album, right? In 1969. And I think, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, um, the name of this album would later become Jimmy Dawkins's nickname, right? Fa Jimmy Fast Fingers Dawkins, as I yes. saw on Google. Or maybe it was already his nickname. Uh, here it says 1969, I said 1971, so I think I was mistaken about that, so thanks for that correction. Yeah, Fast Fingers is his nickname, which is not really an appropriate nickname for a number of reasons, but we, we will talk about it. Please continue, Alexander. Yeah, yeah, that, that could be a really interesting topic. So, <clears throat> you know that I'm not a huge fan of blues, but I, I can single out positives and I can find something that I like about a certain blues band. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of my longest standing bands, you know, in my, let's say, music collection is The Doors, and they're uh, in many ways considered to be blues musicians, right? So this this album is... To me, very good in the sense of instrumentation. So, just like just like the rest of the albums, this is the album that I listen to in a, in a specific way. So this is how I approached it. I play the album. I don't really pay too much attention on individual tracks unless I hear something very eye-catching, and I just you know enjoy it as as a let's say pure blues playlist i really enjoyed the instrumental work especially the guitar which is no surprise jimmy was the guitarist here but the other instruments are really up there you know the rhythm section is fantastic and I, I was i was generally impressed with 
you know, the squad of musicians that Jimmy managed to attract with him. Um, also, one great thing about this specific album is, I don't know if, if this was on purpose, but it really has that live gig feel. You know, it, it, there was a couple of times that where I really thought, you know, uh, am I at a gig? You know, obviously it's the pand- yeah, pandemic. Yeah. yeah, so you can't go to gigs, unfortunately. But it this album really so gives raw, you that feel. so live. Yeah, you, you just feel like you're there. And that was that was a great thing. I think the production is fantastic here. Now, moving on to the individual tracks, I want to single out Triple Section. Um, you know, the standard, the standard instrumental lineup was great, but the saxophone was a fantastic addition. And that's why I want to single out that track. I finally learned a lesson. There's this really cool subtle organ in the background and the guitar was phenomenal again yeah uh, such a great showcase of his guitar playing that one yeah yeah yeah. so vlada any thoughts on your side i guess you have more comments than me oh i really liked your comments though um the music does sound very much alive and as you point out the whole band just cooks it's just incredible like how Everyone plays in such great unison. And you know, the thing about it is they don't sound super clean all the time. Sometimes they deliberately go into sloppy moments, like they speed up the tempo. And you have this sense that, oh, the song's going to fall apart, but it never does. And you know it's it's deliberate. And, you know, listening to this kind of, uh, these type of virtuoso musicians is just incredible. And then... But it never sounds boring to me, uh, even though I do admit that uh, sometimes this record might be difficult to take in one setting. Uh, but individually, every song is just blisteringly good. Uh, let me just point out some of my highlights. Uh, of course, the first track on the record that you did not mention, uh, it serves you right. I think this is in my opinion, uh, this is an incredible blues recording, probably one of the best blues recording from that period that I've ever heard. And it just actually, to be fair, as good as other songs are, following that track, they do feel a bit underwhelming to me because this is just such a great example of everything great about the electric blues there is this kind of inherent tension to the song. Every element carries that tension, it, uh, whether it's the rhythm section, whether it's the horn section, the guitar, and everything just swings from the get-go. And then you have his vocal delivery, which is menacing, assertive. Uh, there are moments where, you know, like he does this very passionate kind of... Uh, singing where where you know it kind of breaks away from the ordinary uh by numbers blues performance uh what about the guitar playing i don't even know where to start sharp piercing confident guitar notes you know that's the style that jimmy is known for Um, maybe not fast fingers as they put it here even though it's obvious that he's capable of playing very fast but he never does because his phrasing is very measured, and it sounds 
so organic, so real, so tangible. And, and you know what this also reminded me of? Uh, the vocal performance, it kind of reminded me of the late day Bob Dylan. You know, when Bob Dylan does his blues tracks, it kind of reminds me of that. I, I even wonder whether Bob Dylan picked it up from uh, artists like Jimmy Dawkins. I guess he probably I had the did. same impression, yeah. Mm -hmm. the and same that, impression. Not on this record, but we'll talk about it. Yeah, later. yeah. And uh, I don't know. This is probably one of the most impressive blues recordings I've heard. But then the rest of the record also cooks. You know, I wonder why follows. It's uh, more great blues, of course. Scorching playing by Jimmy. Uh, great opening guitar lines. You know, these piercing, sharp guitar lines that he, uh, he plays here on this record. I also want to talk about the way his style changed over the years. That's another thing that's really interesting. So on this first record, he has this very aggressive playing style, almost sounds angry. And you know what I also want to point out, and I think this is a bit controversial, and I want you to, to tell me whether you agree on, uh, about this. Uh, if, if a white guitar player, let's say Eric Clapton or somebody like that, recorded stuff like this, solos like this, guitar like this, everybody would be hailing it as the greatest playing of all time, masterpiece, whatnot. But when people like Jimmy Dawkins do it, it kind of remains overshadowed. Wouldn't you agree? Didn't you notice that? Um, not really, to be fair. I mean, when I think about the blues, um, if we were... If, if we're going to talk about race, I think Eric Clapton is the only name that springs to mind. The rest of it is, you know, these these usual guys that you mentioned earlier in the episode. So, I, I mean, I, I'm not really a blues fan, so... But I don't know about that. I mean, I don't want to... This is a very touchy subject. Of course, it doesn't matter whether you're white or black. You are, If you're a great musician, you're a great musician. I'm I'm talking more about the perception and I think this is a particularly uh, the problem among more rock oriented fans like me for example I, I wasn't so much into the blues in the past I usually got my blues through rock bands right so but once I discovered Same here, yeah. once I discovered the authentic blues artist I started feeling very differently about it I feel like People like Magic Sam, for example, and Jimmy Dawkins are not talked about enough. And uh, if you look at all these best guitar players of all time lists, most of the blues guitarists on there are white. You know, like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Clapton and Dwayne Allman, who is my favorite. But still, I'm just trying to make a point here. And it's not that these people are not deserving. Of course, I say Dwayne Allman is my favorite, but... It seems like similarly great black players are often overlooked or taken for granted. You usually have those names like B.B. King, Albert King, but it doesn't go beyond that. And that's my, my point. I don't know. I mean, we could have a whole episode on this issue. But this is something that I was thinking about while listening to Jimmy Dawkins. And I would like to hear from you, uh, dear listeners, what do you think? Uh, is this really a problem? Is there a problem with race when it comes to how we perceive the blues? 
is is the blues kind of whitewashed not because of the musicians but because of the media because of the fans because musicians are just musicians and they all play together you know Jimmy Dawkins had white musicians uh, Muddy Waters had white musicians so it doesn't matter whether you're black or white but it's it what matters is that the, the blues is originally African American music it's their culture and um, that's where you get the authentic blues. And sometimes I feel like blues has become this white genre. And uh, I, that's why I feel a lot of modern blues lacks the excitement of these old recordings. So let me know what you think. But let's go back to the, the records at hand. You mentioned triple trebles, a great instrumental. And also, I agree with you, I finally learned a lesson. It's so cool because... The, uh, that organ and horns and guitar, such a great interplay. And it's mostly Jimmy soloing. And I like the whole build up. He builds the solo slowly and it gets more intense as it goes along. And at some point, the tempo gets faster. As I said earlier, you feel like the band is on the verge of collapsing, which is so exciting. But of course, they keep everything in the pocket. And then at the end of the song, the singing kicks in as some kind of climax, a great climax. And Jimmy laments his woman kicking him out or something like that. These moments are so precious. Would you agree? Was that one of your highlights as well, for sure? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, I do remember those individual moments and listening to these records was all about spotting, you know, these uh, special elements of, of the music because you know as much as I think that the blues tends to sound too uniformed you know Jimmy actually managed to bring in some diversity I would say <clears throat> another track that I'm not sure that you have mentioned is Night Rock you know it, it's I think one of the catchiest tunes on this record Vlada yeah I absolutely love this track Night Rock it's also one of my highlights here um a great groove established right at the beginning and then this typical piercing solo kicks in and it just wow this song is just wow i don't know what else to say a great groove great instrumental just a lot of pieces here seem to serve as a showcase for his guitar playing i think that's why the record is named fast fingers and you know what we're gonna skip a few records of course and go to a more mature period of his career. And it's, it's interesting to me how his priorities changed a bit. So here, this record is all about the guitar playing, uh, I would say, even though all the other elements are amazing. But then the other records, of course, feature great guitar. Uh, but to me, it seems like the, the emphasis is more on songwriting rather than just playing the blues. And so let's maybe move on to the next record. But before we do that, of course, we have the ratings. So, Alexander, your final words, your highlight, and your rating for this record. All right. Uh, I generally think that this is a mature record, uh, a very good start, a very good debut record. I'm really surprised that, you know, this musician doesn't get a lot of mentions in, in the music world. Um, when it comes to the ratings, I think I would give it an 8, 8 out of 10. And the highlight track here is 
probably the one that I mentioned earlier in the episode, triple section. Yeah. And Vlada, before you give your rating, can you just quickly touch on the controversy, the controversy uh, behind the Fast Fingers label? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I already mentioned this while I was talking about his playing. It's not really the right expression, in my opinion, because his phrasing is very careful, deliberate. Um, there are all these menacing, prolonged tones. You know, it's not like he just plays fast. Uh, he has this thing, he has some kind of tricks that he does for example, when, where he lays on the note and he repeats it and it kind of starts getting a bit messy. But, you know, it's all deliberate and I love that. There's a certain kind of grittiness to his playing. And it's obvious he's capable of playing fast because you can hear that here and there, but it's not his priority. He doesn't force it. He doesn't play fast. And, you know, generally speaking, all these great blues guys, they avoid playing too fast because... It, it's just wrong sometimes. It doesn't it doesn't express the emotions the best way. But what's great about these guys is that they can play fast. Even Eric Clapton has this nickname Slow Hand, for example. But uh, Eric Clapton could play fast. You can hear that too. But he's, he's nicknamed Slow Hand because of the way he phrased. And similarly, I think Jimmy Dawkins should have been named slow hand rather than fast fingers if you if you if you catch my drift so i don't know i think this is a misnomer would you agree yeah i was i was also a bit surprised because especially on the next record that we're going to discuss there were some slow paced songs that worked quite well Oh, yeah, his playing really changes on the next record we're going to talk about. And also on the last record that we're going to talk about, his playing changes as well. So uh, to me, it's really impressive how this guitar player kept himself fresh, didn't rely on the same tricks over and over again. So let's move on. Oh, no, we're about yeah, to the do rate. the ratings. <laughs> we got so, distracted a bit. Uh, you said 8.5. Uh, your favorite no, no, eight. track? Eight, eight, eight sorry. sorry. Eight, your favorite track, Alexander? Yeah, the favorite track is Triple Section with the sax. Um, all right, I would say, um, actually, I'm, I want to give this a nine. I'm just afraid that it might be too high, but everything sounds so awesome that I feel if I give it less than nine, that it's kind of an injustice because it's, it's such a special record from the point of view of musicianship. There are so many wow moments, and that opening track is really something to behold. I just, I think that kind of uh, pumps it up to nine. But let's say this is kind of a, a very tentative nine. Maybe 8.5 is, uh, is more suitable. Um, yes, It Serves Me Right is definitely my highlight. I think I'm just, please, please, dear listeners, maybe stop this podcast and go and listen to the track. Just just listen to it. You Leave everything else. A, drop a everything else. Listen to it. Um? Uh, just to give our listeners a little, you know, teaser to, you know, how, how, how great this record sounds, right? Yes, just go and listen to it. I mean, I just don't know. I mean, if you know what? If, if as I said, if somebody like Eric Clapton recorded something like that, people would be like, oh, my God, Eric Clapton is God and all this stuff. But when it's a black man doing it, 
uh, we get somewhat different comments, unfortunately. All right, uh, let's move on to the second record here, which is the record that I listened to uh, first. And Alexander, before I go into my comments, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, Jimmy Dawkins used to tour, you know, in Europe as well. Interestingly enough, this album was recorded in Paris, according to Wikipedia, it is from uh, 1981. And again, I have to praise the, the sound quality here, but the feel is somewhat different. You know, the songs are longer, there are more songs that are, you know, sort of ballads, they're slow paced, you know, have this different kind of energy, uh, low energy that is. Um, when it comes to individual tracks, First, I want to start with the track "You're Just a Baby Child," and I think that I, I that I have actually heard this song before, way before I discovered Jimmy Dawkins. I'm not sure. Are you, you sure? Know, or maybe I think you, what you heard was something similar, because you know, with with blues music, there's a lot of songs that use similar lyrics yeah, yeah, and yeah. riffs. For example, "Strange Woman" by Muddy Waters has a similar feel to this. If you remember that one. Exactly. Maybe that's the one you heard because we, we did that record on the show. That's what I thought. You know, I was wondering whether this was a cover or generally his song that I just that I've just heard before. But there you go. It's it's the similarity um, when it comes to the blues. So that song sounded kind of iconic. I probably um, I probably connected it with with Muddy Waters, but I just wasn't fully aware. Next, um, I want to ask you about a specific song that I that I really liked. It's called "The Welfare Line." It is oh. slow paced and it it's a politically themed song. Lana. Yes, and and you know this is something that I wanted to talk about. On this record, his lyrics get very political and personal too, and I love it. And "Welfare Line" it has a really strong social and political message. Of course, this is the time when Ronald Reagan took over in the U.S. And this is probably the time when economy in the U.S. started started to get problematic. And, you know, Bruce Springsteen also sang about in his Nebraska, people would lose jobs, a lot of jobs moved away, stuff like that. So here, um, here... Uh, Jimmy Dawkins on this track and on the previous track, Rough Times, he sings about these social issues. In Rough Times, he even mentions that uh, it's the worst president that we've ever had, you know, talking about Ronald Reagan. Very straightforward. Uh, in, the, in the welfare line, though, you really feel the intensity of the suffering and pain in his voice. Uh, and the sparse arrangement of the song really accentuates this, especially the bass. There are like these very dark bass tones, and you hear that very clearly. As you mentioned, this is a very well-recorded record, but the guitar playing is just wow. It's it, And you know the thing is, the approach is so different from that previous record. Now here he's, he plays kind of more subtly, it's very exquisite, very gentle, sophisticated, and every note adds to the emotional resonance of his vocal performance. Uh, the solo sounds like a person silently weeping, you know, the silent weeping of the poor and disenfranchised. 
and it just his guitar does all the talking here and it's it's just as convincing as his words so absolutely love this one from the point of view of songwriting and playing and the arrangement it's just so unique uh, that's what makes him great i think this is where blues kind of deviates from its usual patterns and you really feel the blues you know they and these are the kind of recordings why people listen to the blues, I would say. What what do you say, Alexander? Yeah, I uh, I believe that it's a very important aspect, especially with some of the mus musicians that we mentioned before on the show. You know, this polit political and social element, because at the end of the day, a lot of blues songs are sad and about you know poverty, your social status, sadness, love, and so on. It's, it's, it's not a happy genre, so this perfectly fits in, and Welfare Line was definitely one of my highlights on this record. Moving on, I want to single out some other songs that are more, let's say, that are kind of lighter. In a way, the song Rockin' Soul, it's spelt in a, in a fun way. It's R-O-C-K-I-N-S-O-L-E, so it's really fun. Uh, we'll see more of these um, play of words, you know, on the, on the, on the next record that we're going to discuss. But the thing that I liked about this Rockin' Soul track is, again, the rhythm section. A fantastic rhythm, rhythm section, and I also like the repetitive guitar, which kind of kind of, I don't know, complemented this rhythm section. So the guitar on this record, apart from the solo aspect, also has this great um, percussion feel, right? Oh, yeah. Actually, we didn't really talk about Jimmy's rhythm playing, which was also impressive on the previous record. It just uh, It's not just the, the solos, but also his rhythm playing is so great, so funky, so wonderful. And this is a more upbeat tune, Right, uh, but still, his playing throughout is kind of subtle. It's not this in-your-face guitar playing that you hear on the first record, but it's subtle and intense. It burns with this slow intensity, even on the more upbeat tunes, and I really like that. I read some reviews where people were trashing this kind of playing because I guess they expected him to like blow the the roof with his playing or something like on the previous record, but I think Jimmy knew what he was doing, and I, I just listened to this record. I don't know how many times I listened to it over the last couple of weeks, probably like 15 times or more, because it's so great, and uh, especially his playing, and Rock and Soul is another great example. Uh, then there's Pepper's Music, which is also a bit upbeat, and it has a really cool blues riff at the beginning, and um, what I like it, what I like about it is how it celebrates the blues as a genre. You know, uh, he, he he kind of uh, he he sings about blues being the music for everyone, and I like this kind of very down-to-earth approach that he has to the music. For him, it's all about sharing. It's all about this communal feeling and you can sense that in the lyrics and you know this is great because it kind of steps outside the usual blues cliches you know like these lyrics get personal 
and these lyrics uh, talk to the fan directly. It's not one of those, I woke up this morning with the blues and blah, blah. You know, this is more, more personal. And uh, did you get that feeling listening to this record that he really wanted to talk to you? Um, I think you had more insight on that. Uh, mainly, I, I'm going to be honest, mainly because I was more focused on the music, you know, the guitar and the rhythm section and so on. The lyrics, yeah, I caught some moments like Welfare Line and so on. But generally, I think uh, your ear was sharper in, in, in that manner than mine. I, I also probably listened to this more than you did because I absolutely fell in love with this record. I don't know how many times I listened to it and I don't think I'll stop because it's really uh, just probably one of the best blues records I've ever heard, if you ask me. And I know that some people might disagree because this approach here is very unusual, I think. Uh, for a lot of people, it's not what they expect from the blues. They want this kind of scorching, burning music. But this is the real blues. This is the real deal. Um, also, another tune at the end, My Way, he gets um, a bit funky there. Uh, did you hear that wonderful funky riff that he has going? Uh, but yeah. again, yeah? Yes, I did. And I have one specific track in mind. Mm -hmm. My way, fantastic yeah. funky guitar, crazy drums. And Th that's bass. what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, and I was I was impressed because this is probably my first ever time of hearing some funkiness and blues. I have to be honest. I would much more often expect that in soul music, which in many ways is similar to the blues, but this was absolutely straightforward, you know. The funkiness was totally clear, but, and I like that. Alexander, I encourage you to, to listen to more blues, because there's a lot of funky moments in blues. Even uh, like people, with, uh, people like Stevie Ray Vaughan, for example, loved putting in some funk into their blues. And I think a lot of modern blues artists in per particular like to funk things up a bit so there's a lot of funk uh, in in modern blues and i think jimmy does it so perfectly here it really swings i love it and uh, again the message is like a love letter to the fans of blues he invites everyone to come to to hear him play and uh, it's a it's a clear uh case of a man who mainly plays for the love of music rather than money. And you can sense this in these lyrics. Uh, what he says here is, if you really love the blues, come on up and see me sometimes. It sounds so wholesome, so sweet. Um, my fiance Asha, also loved the song, and she's not a big blues fan. But when she heard this, she could really relate to the sweetness of it. I don't know, you, you feel like you want to sit down with this man and share a coffee with him, and he seems so sweet and so fatherly in a way. I don't know, I, I really, really love the way Jimmy sounds here. I can You're only imagine... You're having a man crush. <laughs> hmm? Maybe, I, 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 we don't really know that much about this man, but I can imagine a very wholesome figure based on all these records. I just uh, I read some stories online. People who knew him said that he would uh, 
For example, he would give them his old guitars as gifts and stuff like that. He was very supportive of the scene. So I, I really wish we could find more information about Jimmy Dawkins. So if any people who knew Jimmy or w saw him play or, knew, uh, or, or simply know more about him, please uh, get in touch with us. Leave some comments on our social network pages. Uh, let us know about Jimmy's life because this man and this musician deserves to be more celebrated. Let's do that. Let's, let's not allow these people to be forgotten. And I don't think he will be forgotten, but unfortunately, and this is maybe why I, I went into that whole rant about Eric Clapton, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of authentic music gets overlooked, uh, doesn't really get enough exposure it's always the same names that keep popping up. I don't know if it's just the idleness of the world, but I wish people knew m more about people like this. All right, so Alexander, any other comments? Or did we wrap this up nicely? I, I think that we actually touched on all, all the necessary points here. So I think we're ready and set to give our ratings. I'm going to go first. My rating is 7.5 and the standard track here is I mentioned Welfare Line. I really liked it, but I have to go with some of these funky songs. Um, let's let's pick Rock and Soul. How about you, Vada? All right. Um, for me, it's hard to choose one highlight because all these tracks are really great. Um, but maybe Welfare Line, just because it's such an intense moment here. It's very sad, and it's good that he lightens up a bit later on, but I'm so glad that he sang about these problems. You know, it's it sounds so authentic, so real. It really takes you to a certain moment in time. You really understand this man. You start imagining things that he might have gone through in his life, and or things that people in his community went through. And I love, love that. I think it's it's a great example of what blues should be about, you know. This is the real blues. This is the real deal. And that song exemplifies that perfectly. As for the ratings, I will give this one a 9. Much more assuredly uh, than on the previous record. I think that this is... A phenomenal album. I love his subtle approach to playing. I love the way he reinvented his playing style, that he didn't stick with the same formula. So it's very exciting to go from one record to another and hear this. So yeah, an, a definite nine for me. All right, great ratings there. And now, Vlada, we're moving on to the third record that we're gonna discuss. It's called Can't Check These Blues. It's also this play of, play of words. It's a very interesting way of spelling that we already saw on the previous record we talked about, and here it's in full swing. So uh, can't is spelled the... as K-A-N-T. Yeah. Uh, shake is spelled as S-H-E-C-K. These as D E E S and so on. Uh, I love I love that. Um, it's like his it, Prince used to do stuff like that too. You know, had his own spelling system, and Jimmy's also 
uh, into this kind of stuff. Um, what were you saying, Alexander? Yeah, yeah well, I, I just, I also wanted to show our listeners how this is spelled. And I also wanted to ask you whether you know what the correct pronunciation would be. You know, if you would move away from the usual, usual pronunciation, how would this be said? Uh, hmm, I don't. I don't even want to attempt <laughs> because I think it, uh, maybe Jimmy wanted to reflect a certain kind of speech. You know that I don't think we can really get right because first can of all, we're not native speakers. Dialect? Second of all, we we don't speak um, with that kind of. We cannot really imitate it. Uh, so I don't know. It's point, but I love the what, what I love what he does here with that. I like. How um, there's a certain kind of playfulness to that. And I think that's why I really like him. He seems to be this kind of very uh, uh, introspective man. At the same time, he seems to like to to joke. He seems to like... uh, He seems to be a very social person, you know? Like, based on all these lyrics and everything projected through these uh, misspellings, deliberate misspellings. I love that. Uh, but uh, what we have here is another interesting blues record, a very long one at that. Uh, Alexander, this is from the 90s, so 20 years following, more than 20 years following his debut record. Yep. What can you tell me? What kind of differences did you notice here? Okay, so here we're going back going back sorry to the live feel to the feel of being at a live gig you know again i'm not sure if it was deliberate if it was up to the 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 mixing stuff the audio part but it definitely felt like that and i liked it so when it comes to when it comes to this record i obviously had some notes and I was full of praise for the guitar yet again and some moments were were again really really outstanding so first i want to single out the song it's not one of the let's say opening tracks it's a bit further during the record get on the ball again another another thing that i noticed for the notice for the first time ever in blues slap bass vlada are you familiar with the the slap bass technique in the blues um yeah you hear it sometimes but here i also noticed it i I wanted to point it out as well um i was thinking about you when i heard that you know and i was i was hoping you would mention it uh yeah the bass player here likes to get a bit funky and, and the whole band is really cooking they're firing on all cylinders, and as you mentioned, there's this very live feel to this record. It's like going to a blues club, and the, the music is just uh, great, a great feel. This is what people want to hear when they go to a blues club, right? So yeah, great slapping technique there, but overall, I think all of the musicians get kind of funky here from time to time. Very, very well-performed record. But Alexander, I want to ask you, what about his guitar playing? Did you notice any differences compared to the other two records? 
I did. I did. With some tracks, the guitar was absolutely stealing the show. Um, what I mean here is that some some of the... Okay, so we talked about the first record where the guitar was so punchy and dynamic. The second record, you have you had these subtle riffs, you know, a uh, bit more slow-paced. Here, I want to talk about the song A Love Like That. It has such a sweet riff, you know, so it, it's, it, it makes you feel warm around your heart, you know. It has this lovely atmosphere and it is all colored with great singing. So the guitar was quite different there and it was still enjoyable. Uh, Rocking the Blues, another song that I, you know, want to single out when it comes to the guitar. Um, and yeah, overall... I think this record, since it's, since it's long, it had moments where I would rather praise the rhythm section, like Get on the Ball or West Side Blues. But on the other hand, you, you have tracks that were clearly dominated by Jimmy's guitar. So that's my take on that, Pada. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, you know, the, another thing you mentioned, vocals, we have a guest vocalist, Norma Jean Wallace, on two tracks, A Love Like That, I think, and uh, another track, My Man Loves Me. And, you know, here it gets kind of very soul music, you know, uh, Nora Jean is a great vocalist, apparently. I guess they were friends, and, you know, um, I read that all the musicians on this record were great Chicago blues musicians, some of the best in the city. And it really shows, especially the keyboard work is so good. And uh, he uh, often calls out the keyboard player. He calls him Professor. So his name is Professor Eddie Lusk. And, you know, this adds to the live feeling when he says, come on, Professor, or something like that. So it's, it's a great, great celebratory record, really cooks. A lot of long songs as well, uh, because he lets the band stretch out a bit. The title track in particular is an awesome nine-minute slow blues. Love it, every mo moment of it. The guitar playing, um, I think you perfectly described it. But I also want to add something about the sound. He changes his sound here. There's a certain kind of more modern, creamy quality to his notes. They're not um, so sharp like on the earlier records, but they're still very angry. You, you can still hear that same style. It's just that he added some, uh, I guess he used a different setup here, and it really shows. And I like the fact that he experimented with the sound. W what did you think about that? Agreed. Agreed. You know, this is, this is amazing, uh, the fact that he is able to switch between different guitar styles and it still fits. It still, you know, makes the music sound pretty enjoyable and obviously it stays within the blues boundaries. Yeah, so uh, quite a great blues record. However, I have to say though, and I feel kind of guilty about it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as the other two. I thought it was a really, Same here. A really good blues record. I thought uh, that... The band was absolutely stellar. Uh, but I thought that the other two records had more personality. Like, uh, they they sounded very unique. This kind of sounds like a lot of other 
good blues records from that period. So it's not bad by any stretch of imagination, but I just felt that if, if this was the first record that I heard by Jimmy, I probably think it's great, but I perhaps wouldn't spend so much time with it because it didn't inspire me the same way like Hotwire. However, um, you know, looking at different reviews, this seems to be one of his most revered records, and for a good reason. I mean, it really, really cooks, but I just felt slightly underwhelmed by comparison to the other two. So, any, any mm-hmm. last comments here? I just want to say that you mentioned how this record is longer compared to the previous two that we discussed. It's 70 minutes long, and... Uh, to be fair, you know, d- during during the listening of this record, you know, midway through, I kind of got drowsy. Kind of got lost. It. Uh, I just lost my focus, and you know, the musicianship is is great, but uh, this will probably sound wrong to to some blues fans. But uh, in my opinion, uh, listening to this album was a bit of a stretch for me. I, I have to admit that I agree with you. Uh, it's it, it drags a bit. And that's why I would take this record in sections. You know, I wouldn't listen to the whole thing at once. So play a few songs here, play a few songs there. Uh, then it makes perfect sense. You know, live, this would make perfect sense. Because live, you, you'd be pumped up with adrenaline. So every song would kind of uh, intensify that. But on the record, this kind of drags a bit. You know, and um, but that's the only real flaw because everything else is really well performed. I would say it just the the only reason why I feel the other records are better is that they have more personality, and that's all. But everything here is stellar, so you can't go wrong with this record. But maybe it shouldn't be your introduction to Jimmy. I don't know. Maybe for some people, this would work as a perfect introduction. Depends what you like in your blues. Yeah. All right, so so the final rating, Alexander? Okay, slightly lower rating this time. I'm going with a 7. And my favorite track, again, has to be some of the funky tracks. Let's see. Oh, no, actually, I'll go with A Love Like That, the sweet song with the great vocals. Vlada, back to you. All right, so you want um, some great... Uh, female vocals like we have here Nora Jean Wallace absolutely brilliant on this record uh, I don't know to me I think the title track was the best one I really felt the blues while listening to it very uh, a, a slow burner a real scorcher of a track a great jam nine minutes long so but everything here is pretty good, I would say. A really competent blues record. I would give it an 8. I think uh, it's not as brilliant as the other two, in my opinion. Mainly because it sounds more generic. I don't like to use this word when talking about such great musicians. But the other records really stood out as original pieces of work. Something that no other blues man can do and um, i feel that this is more by numbers but it's not necessarily a bad thing all right so yep we've come to the end of the episode um before we 
leave you guys. I just want to say thanks everyone for your support so far, especially our dear patrons. You guys rock. We would like to do another patron episode soon. So uh, for our patrons who have the right to suggest uh, the bands, please think about your next suggestion. We would love to hear it from you. We would love to to do another patron episode soon. Uh, also, Alexander, I want to point out that I'm really happy with how much we've accomplished so far. I think that we've done a lot and that this uh, this podcast has been a joy to do and especially looking into all these different artists and discovering new music has been one of the best things for sure. I totally agree. And dear listeners, if this sounds good to you, you know, all the things that Vlada just mentioned, head over to our social media accounts. You can see uh, all the stuff that we do, all the all the news, all the funny stuff. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. The handle is Sunrise Pod. Uh, the same handle is used for our Patreon page, so if you want to support us, you can do that for as little as $1 per month. So go to Patreon, find us, support us, and we'll see you in two weeks, guys. All the best. Write a review, and then you can share it. With the world. In any social media platform. And then your friends see it, and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and CastBox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day. Which is on the 8th of every month, of every year, of every century, of every... You get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. Because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Pod Rev Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y.